Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of this here program, happy to have you. I got to wade into dangerous ground here. So I watched the Ricky Gervais special on Netflix. It's actually very funny. Uh <laughs> It's it's funny. A lot of it is British humor, though. You know, I grew up overseas in a former British colony, and I had a lot of friends who were British, and I, I love the British dry sense of humor. And there was there's very much a lot of the the dry British sense of humor that I I think some Americans would not find funny. I found I found it uh, very very funny, and um I just it, it was it was humorous. But there were several moments where he'd say, "Look, I I don't want to divide the room." Don't want to divide the room. And, and, you know, comedians are very conscious about this, that if they're going to laugh at one half of their audience, they got to find a way to laugh at the other half of the audience as well. Just so everybody get everybody laughing, even if they're laughing at each other a little bit, but really trying to find common ground where they can all laugh. And uh, one of the issues, it, it was was abortion. Um, he, I don't want to divide the room, but, of course, he's very pro-abortion. He's a progressive atheist. Um, but then he, he spends a lot of his time talking about the wokes. And how uh, there's this new comedy called Woke Comedy. You tried to watch some of it. It's not very funny. Um, You're not allowed to laugh. You're not allowed to offend anyone. Um, There there were moments there. But he didn't want to divide the room. I don't want to divide the room. But I got to talk about red flag laws. I have written a piece this morning. Uh, it has uh, rapidly gained some traction on the series of tubes known as the Internet. If you text the word show to 33777, the very last link that you get is to my uh, daily newsletter, and you'll be able to see it, um, Red Flags. It's gotten, well, it's it's gotten uh, lots and lots of of views now. And I have decided I am against the red flag proposal that's before the Senate. Now, what is a red flag law? A a red flag law, 17 states have them. Not every state has them. And I guess there's a way to be done right, uh, but I think it'd be very hard unless it's just your relatives who are involved. But... uh, There's a red flag, uh, model red flags laws, the the congressional legislation, the gun control legislation would have federal funding for states to enact and enforce red flag laws. To my understanding of the the legislation, there would not be a federal red flag law. There would be um, a model law for states to pass. Red flag laws are typically your... Parents, siblings, spouse, or children, and many times your coworkers can go to court without you being there and say he's a danger to himself or others around him, present their reasons why, have Law enforcement go confiscate the person's guns and flag them to be able to uh, prevent them to buy a gun during the process. 
And then you have to come in and prove to the court that you're not the things the person says you are. I am opposed to that law. I am opposed to having that happen. Two years ago, in the summer of 2020, in New York Central Park, a woman named Amy Cooper called 911. There was, in her words, an African-American man threatening her. And she called 911 to uh, come deal with this man. His last name was also Cooper. Brian Cooper, I believe his name was. Turns out uh, the man, Brian Cooper, he filmed the whole encounter on his phone used a, a, uh, the, the video recorder on his phone and recorded the exchange with Amy Cooper. Amy Cooper called 911, said an African-American man was threatening her. The man was actually a bird watcher. He was in Central Park during a migratory wave of birds to look for certain birds. And Amy Cooper, contrary to the rules of the park, had her dog off a leash, and the dog was chasing the birds and bothering the man who was watching the birds, and he asked Ms. Cooper to leash her dog because that's what the rules in the park say, and she refused and called 911, and and as a, a white woman in New York City said, a black man is harassing me. It went viral. She lost her job. She lost reputation. She lost her friends. She was charged with a crime. Mr. Cooper, the bird watcher, encouraged the cops to drop uh, the the um, to to drop the charges against her, which they ultimately did. But she maliciously called the police against the man who just wanted her to follow the law. And the police originally probably would have taken her side, but for the bird watcher having the uh, forethought to record the exchange. At the end of last week in Raleigh, North Carolina, there's a restaurant and brewery in in Raleigh, North Carolina called Way Hill, W-Y-E, Way Hill. Uh, Way Hill canceled the reservations of a group of moms. The moms were going to come have a beer and eat and visit. It's a political group of conservative moms that had taken on the local school board and gotten the school board to get rid of some sexually explicit material that was being presented to elementary school students. They called themselves Moms for Liberty, and they were going to meet at Way Hill, the brewery in Raleigh, North Carolina. A progressive activist, online troll, who calls herself Karen for Justice, found out about it and called the restaurant and made vague threats to the restaurant that if the restaurant allowed this group of conservative moms to eat at the restaurant, uh, the progressive activist group would take countermeasures. And she couldn't say what those measures would be, but the restaurant wouldn't like them, and so it best to cancel the reservation. And the restaurant canceled the reservation to avoid the progressive mob coming to harass the restaurant over a group of conservative mothers wanting to come hang out and visit. Yesterday... Eric Swalwell, the California congressman who did the bang-bang with the fang-fang Chinese spy, went on Twitter and suggested uh, Ben Shapiro was a lunatic who should not own guns, and if Congress would pass the red flag laws, 
people could stop Ben Shapiro from owning a gun. In a normal, sane world, I think maybe a red flag law might work, but we're not in a normal, sane world. We're in a world where everybody hates everybody. We're for partisan uh, motivations. People will use the law to punish those they disagree with. Red flag laws are designed to allow the police, based on a court order, to preemptively stop someone from buying a gun and confiscating their existing guns. And I I think they're going to be abused. Not only do I think they're going to be abused, we also live in a world where a bunch of progressives have been made prosecutors, and they won't prosecute people who see eye to eye with them. We've seen this all over the country, even in conservative states like Georgia and Texas. Progressive prosecutors refuse to prosecute progressives for doing things against the law, but that the progressive prosecutor agrees with. So I can see a world where red flag laws are rapidly weaponized by the lowest common denominator against their political opponents on the left and the right, and then like-minded prosecutors refuse to prosecute for abuse of the red flag law. We're we're in a world where this is going to happen more and more, where the laws designed to protect us are weaponized against each of us by other people to punish us for our political views, and I think that's going to happen with red flag laws. I am really concerned about it, and I don't know that there's any way to structure the law to not only punish the people who abuse them, but punish prosecutors who refuse to prosecute the people who abuse them. I, I don't know what structure they can do. If they could propose one, I might reconsider it. But right now, I think it would be a very bad idea to enact red flag laws. Listen, in, in every circumstance so far that we've had with these shootings of late, there's either been a screw-up where someone didn't get put into uh, the records where they should have been, Or everybody knew there was a problem, nobody said anything. And there are existing laws. Even take the shooter in Uvalde, Texas. There are already laws in place for reporting concerns about people who you think are going to turn violent. And nobody did anything. Adding one more law where it's less likely it's going to be used to prevent a crazy person from getting a gun than to you be used as a weapon against political opponents, I I think is a bad idea. I actually support the part of the law that says if you're 18 to 21 doing a, buying a gun, we should be able to use your juvenile criminal record and mental health record to see whether or not you should buy it. If you're 18, 21, I'm fine with that. My family, frankly, we're, We've been dealing with an issue where I, I, I kind of like the idea of um, crazy teenager not being able to buy a gun because they've been institutionalized or, or uh, had a criminal background as, as a teenager. Um, I would I would kind of for my own family's well-being, I, I, I kind of I'm, I'm OK with using that. But I don't like the idea of the red flag law because, I I mean, we in this country in the last number of years have seen a history of mob abuse, particularly on the left. You had Sarah Sanders chased out of the restaurant in uh, Virginia where she went over the immigration stuff. You've had people show up at Brett Kavanaugh's house to protest him 
I mean, you had the crazy would-be assassin, and the media says nothing. You've had the firebombings of, of pregnancy centers across the nation, and the media says barely anything about it. Uh, it. Disproportionately, the left gets a pass on violence these days by the media because so much of the media is on the side of the left. So when the left starts abusing red flag laws and comes after law-abiding citizens trying to shut down their ability to get weapons that they're allowed to get to exercise their Second Amendment right, you and I both know damn well the media is not going to cover it. They're going to cover it up or they're going to make excuses for it. When you have a member of Congress online saying we need red flag laws so I can stop Ben Shapiro from buying a gun, you know they're going to weaponize it. It's already in their thinking about why they want the red flag law. I don't think we need to go down this road. There are plenty of compromises in this gun legislation I'm fine with. And I'll be honest with you. Don't hate on me for this. I I don't know that I'm opposed to raising the purchase age to 21 for a rifle. Handguns at 21, raise rifle to 21, but with the caveat that if a parent wants to buy one for their child, a parent can buy it for their child. I think I'm okay with that as a reasonable compromise. And I know a lot of my gun friends will say, oh, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. I, I think it's it's 21 for a handgun. I'm okay with the rifle so long as a parent can buy one for their child. But I'm not okay with putting in a law where the odds are greater that it's going to be abused for politics than used to protect. And we have a lot of laws right now on the books that people could use to – raise questions about someone's mental health and their ability to get guns, and those laws aren't being used. You put a red flag on the books in every state, you just watch progressive activists weaponize them against conservatives. It's going to happen. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use, and now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA Sipic. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, I've already got it scheduled. You know, a couple of weeks ago, front porch Sunday night, I made quesadillas. 
They were really good. I've been craving my quesadillas again. I had a little bit of black beans and corn and chicken and, and steak, and they were really good. And I'm sending the recipe out tomorrow. Uh, if you text the word recipe singular to 33777, uh, you can get that recipe delivered to your inbox. As always, if you just text recipe to 33777, the link back, you can go and you can see all the recipes, including the onion ring recipe last week for which I lost a thumb. Uh, just just to, to get the recipe right for you guys, I have had people tag me all over Instagram for uh, thanking me for giving them the best onion ring recipe they've encountered. Yes, it's great. Now, we got to move on. Uh, Eric Schmidt, who is running for the Senate in Missouri, was on Fox News talking about red flag laws. I want to play you his audio. The Senate Republicans need to back away from this dangerous dance with these gun-grabbing de- Democrats. That's the first thing that needs to happen because this is a very dangerous road uh, to go down and you'd be eviscerating two fundamental rights, a Second Amendment right and the right to due process along the way. But yes. the red flag logs are nothing more than a green light for gun confiscation. Yes, they are. Red flag laws are a green light for gun confiscation. I, I, I think that's true. I, I really do. And I think it's going to be so abused, and uh, it, it, it deeply, deeply, deeply bothers me. So I, um, I, I want to leave that there with you, and I want you guys to call if you have questions, 877-973-7425. But I also want to move on to other things including uh, some polling that's out there. And this is going to get the Biden administration in more trouble than they're already in. This is from the Washington Post. Most Americans oppose trans athletes in female sports. In other words, most Americans oppose having boys in girls sports. 55% of Americans oppose allowing boys and girls to compete together in women's sports. 58% in high school, 58% in college, only 3 in 10, only 30% think that boys should be able to play in girls' sports. Now, the Washington Examiner's Jeremiah Poff has this story. The Biden administration is announcing new rules, taking a pro-transgender interpretation of Title IX. If Public schools in the United States do not allow boys to compete against girls in high school sports. Those public schools will not be given school lunch money by the federal government. That's where the Biden administration is heading with this. Uh, I don't think that's wise. Uh, The DeSantis administration and then the uh, Kemp administration in Georgia are pushing back on this. Um, Parents don't want this. But this is where the Biden administration is heading. Not a good look. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I think it might be time to take some phone calls. Let's start with John. Welcome, John. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? Great. Yeah, the reason I was calling is I, I keep hearing about the transgender issue, and I don't understand. To me, there's a very simple and almost perfect solution is to just have the NCAA 
create a third division that's for transgender athletes. And that division could have two divisions within it, one for trans male and one for trans female, and everybody would be able to compete. Uh, you wouldn't need to create any... Yeah. You wouldn't need to create any different facilities because they could, just by timing of the events, they could all use the same uh, locker rooms and everything else. Right, and and we're 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 talking maybe three dozen students nationwide as well. So I mean, you could have a yeah, a, but we may. <laughs> I just you know this is the this is the thing that that really sticks in my craw about this whole situation is uh, that uh, we're really talking about uh, a few dozen individuals who want to disrupt all of sports for everyone and make everyone uncomfortable and the Biden administration bending over backwards to help these people. I mean, we are not talking about a lot of transgender athletes in this country. There just are not a lot. And for those who say, well, then why don't we accommodate them? Because overwhelmingly, it is boys who failed in boys' sports who want to go into girls' sports. Overwhelmingly, there are very few girls who've decided they're boys and want to compete with the boys. There are a few, probably count them all on, on both hands, even with part of a thumb gone. Uh, but there are, overwhelmingly, it's it's boys who suck at boys' sports who want to compete and get a scholarship as a girl. That's what's going on here. And the Biden administration is moving heaven and earth for them. If you're just tuning in, the Biden administration is announcing Title IX funding changes where schools in the country will not get school lunch program money unless they allow boys to compete in girls' sports. Uh, I suspect you're going to have a federal judge put a pause on that. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Michael, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. I just want to comment about the juvenile records. I think if a kid is being, you know, convicted or whatever with gun charges, murder, whatever, I don't care how old they get, that record should always be available for background checks, period. Because I know juvenile records are sealed a lot of times. Yeah. But I, I think that uh, I don't care how old they are. They should be able to find that information wherever they do a background check. Yeah, I, I don't honestly, I don't have a problem with that. And as, as time moves on and, and dynamics change, and people become an adult, and they're not having in problems with law enforcement, maybe over time there's an age where it's less and less important. But I, I definitely think when you're in your your late teens, early twenties, what you did three, four, five years ago. When you were 16, 17 years old, still deeply matters, and we we should be able to consider that. Uh, we should. By the way, uh, there's some breaking news happening right now. Democratic National Committee is uh, advising it is moving a fundraiser with Vice President Kamala Harris from May until the fall, sometime in the fall, to a date to be determined because they can't sell enough tickets. They can't sell enough tickets. It's only $250 a person, and they can't sell enough tickets. It was going to be May 25th, and they can't sell enough tickets. That's not good. Oh, 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 wait, wait. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, This is from last year. Now, this is from last year. Wow, the news is just trickling out. Uh, that it was they they couldn't sell enough tickets last year. She was already that unpopular. 
Holy moly. Um, wow. And it's gotten worse now, which is why she's not doing any major um, funding issues. Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. Okay. So we must move on. Y'all, you know, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. okay. I'm going to wait on that story. I got to do this. story. I, I've been waiting for the story. I've been waiting for the moment to get to the story. I have been waiting and waiting all day since yesterday when the story hit. I've been waiting. The Intercept has a story that, oh, my gosh, I just, I, I've been waiting for this. The headline, Elephant in the Zoom. The subtitle, Meltdowns Have Brought Progressive Advocacy Groups to a Standstill at a Critical Moment in World History. This is by Ryan Grimm. Y'all pop some popcorn. Get ready. This is glorious. Glorious. I love this. Schadenfreudelicious. Everyone acknowledged that Zoom was less than ideal as a forum for a heartfelt conversation on systemic racism and policing. But the meeting was urgent. And little more than two months into the COVID-19 lockdown, it would have to do. During the first week of June 2020, Teams of workers and their managers came together across the country to share how they were responding to the murder of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis and to chart out what, if anything, their own company or nonprofit could do to contribute toward the reckoning with racial injustice that was rapidly taking shape. On June 2nd, one such huddle was organized by the Washington, D.C. office of the Guttmacher Institute, the abortion rights movement's premier research organization. Heather Boonstra, vice president of public policy, began by asking how people were finding equilibrium. One of the details we know because it was later shared by staff with PRISM, an outlet that focuses on social justice advocacy. She talked about the role systemic racism plays in society and the ways that gutmockers' work could counter it. Staff suggestions, though, turned inward, Prism reported, including loosening deadlines and implementing more proactive and explicit policies for leave without penalty. Staffers suggested additional racial equity trainings, noting that a previous facilitator had said that the last round had not included sufficient time to cover everything. With no black staff in the D.C. unit, it was suggested that Guttmacher do something tangible for black employees in other divisions. Behind Boonstra's and the staff's responses to the killing was a fundamentally different understanding of the moment. For Boonstra and others of her generation, the focus should have been on the work of the nonprofit. What could Guttmacher, with an annual budget of $30 million, do now to make the world a better place for her staff? The question had to be answered at home first. What could they do to make Guttmacher a better place? Too often, they believed, managers exploited the moral commitment staff felt toward their mission allowing workplace abuses to go unchecked. The belief was widespread. In the eyes of group leaders, dealing with similar moments 
staff were ignored the mission the staff were ignored the mission and focused only on themselves using a moment of public awakening to smuggle through standard grievances cloaked in the language of social justice often as was the case at Guttmacher they played into the very dynamics they were fighting against directing their complaints at leaders of color Guttmacher was run at the time and still is today by an afro-latina woman Dr. Herminia Palacio. The most zealous ones in my organization when it comes to race are white, said one black executive director at a different organization, asked for anonymity. These starkly divergent views would produce dramatic schisms throughout the progressive world in the coming year. At Guttmacher, this process would rip the organization apart. Boonstra, unlike many managers at the time, didn't sugarcoat how she felt about the staff's response to the killing. I'm here to talk about George Floyd and the other African-American men who have been beaten up by society, she told her staff, not workplace problems. Boonstra told them she was disappointed they were being self-centered. The staff was appalled enough by the exchange to relay it to PRISM. The Human Resources Department and Board of Directors, in consultation with outside counsel, were brought in to investigate complaints that flowed from the meeting, including accusations that certain staff members had been tokenized, promoted, and then demoted on the basis of race. The report that came out of it was unsatisfying to many of the staff. When we learn what we learned is that there's a group of people with strong opinions about a particular supervisor, the new leadership, and a change in strategic priorities, said a Guttmacher statement summarizing the findings. Those staff have a point of view. Complaints were duly investigated and nothing raised to the level of abuse or discrimination. Rather, what we saw was distrust, disagreement, and discontent with management decisions they simply did not like. A PRISM reporter reached a widely respected Guttmacher board member, Pamela Merritt, a black woman and a leading productive justice advocate, while the Supreme Court oral arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization were going on last December, a year and a half after the Floyd meeting. She offered the most delicate rebuttal of the staff complaints. I have been in this movement space long enough to respect how people choose to describe their personal experience and validate that experience, even if I don't necessarily agree that that's what they experienced, Merritt said. It seems like there's a conflation between not reaching the conclusion that people want and not doing due diligence on the allegations, which simply is not true. Boonstra did not respond to a request to talk. The six months since then have only seen a ratcheting up of tension, with more internal disputes spilling into public and amplified by a well-funded anonymous operation called Repro Jobs, whose Twitter and Instagram feeds have pounded away at the organization's management. If your reproductive justice organization isn't black and brown, it's white supremacy in heels co-opting a woke movement. That's WOC Women of Color, blared an Instagram story that the organization has spent the course of the Biden administration paralyzed makes it typical of not just the abortion rights community, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and other reproductive rights groups. It's true of progressive advocacy space across the board. The Sierra Club, Demos, the American Civil Liberties Union, 
Color of Change, the Movement for Black Lives, Human Rights Campaign, Time's Up, the Sunrise Movement. Many other organizations have seen wrenching and debilitating turmoil in the past couple of years. In fact, it's hard to find a Washington-based progressive organization that's not in tumult. It's even reached the National Audubon Society. Y'all, this is just a brilliant story. I have read more than I should have because you got to set the stage to be able to see it. Progressive groups have turned inward and they're destroying each other from the inside out. It is like the commies. And here's the irony here is that the leaders of the progressive organizations realize that if they are to take on the staff and do what must be done to clean up the organizations, they would be using, quote unquote, the frame of the right. Listen to this paragraph here. The silence stems partly, one senior leader in an organization said, from a fear of feeding right-wing trolls who are working to undermine the left. Adopting their language and framing feels like surrendering to malign forces. The right has labeled it cancel culture or call-out culture, he said. So when we talk about our own movement, it's hard because we're using the frame of the right. It's very hard because there's all these associations and analysis that we disagree with when we're using their frames. It's like, how do we talk about it? So they, <laughs> they can't clean up their organizations because they're afraid they'll sound right-wing. <laughs> So they've got all these malcontented 20 and 30-somethings destroying the organization from the inside. They're going after each other because they're refusing to check the box. There's one anecdote in here. i got to share this before I go to break. This is too beautiful not to share. There was one progressive organization in New York City where some employees, it's a gay rights group, and some of the employees decided that a bar they regularly went to, that the staff had to stop going there for meetings because the bar was a gay bar, but it was perceived to be anti-trans. Some of the employees liked going to the bar. They didn't perceive it as anti-trans. And so they went without telling anyone. And the others found out. And all hell broke loose in the organization because some of the people went to a gay bar. Some of these gay rights activists went to a gay bar that other gay rights activists considered was anti-trans, and it just blew the whole business up. Here's the last quote I'll share with you. This is from one of the managers. I'm now at a point where the first thing I wonder about a job applicant is, how likely is this person to blow up my organization from the inside? Oh, very likely. If they're a progressive activist, I would say, my goodness gracious, it's why I don't hire progressives. <laughs> Y'all, now's the time to protect your retirement savings with the Fed looking at raising interest rates again back to the Carter era economy. You know, during the Carter era, gold and silver helped protect a lot of retirement accounts. If you've got $50,000, in your IRA, your 401k, other retirement savings, your money could be at risk. You don't have a lot of options, but you could protect your money with physical gold and silver. Not, not certificates claiming you have gold and silver, but actual, real gold and silver. Call 855-904-5933. You're going to get a free wealth protection kit. Just by calling 855-904-5933, you'll get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. 
Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Just call my friends at GoldCo, find out how you qualify for the offer. GoldCo has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes. They might be a good fit for you. If you just text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, I will text you back GoldCo's toll-free number. Just call them, tell them I sent you. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, and I will send you GoldCo's phone number. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are in the United States of America, doesn't matter what state you're in, there are 50 of them. You can be in one of them. And if you're in charge of the finances of a business and you want it to grow, reach out to First Liberty. They might be able to help you get to yes, where banks are telling businesses no on loans these days. Buying a building, building a building, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Spend 10 minutes with them. FirstLibertyGA.com. Now, y'all, this this story, again, if you text the word show to 33777, go down to the bottom and uh, click on the the link for uh, my daily email in the show notes, this Intercept article on, on these progressive organizations. You know, it's not just nonprofits. It's the for-profit businesses on the left as well. Uh, you're, you're seeing it in social media groups. You're seeing it at, well, for example, the Washington Post. The Washington Post. And you know, the, the common denominator is white women. White women is the common denominator. I don't, okay. So you know in, in Genesis, where God tells Eve after the fall that uh, your desire will be for your husband. That's so badly misinterpreted by a lot of churches. It doesn't mean that women will fall head over heels in love with their husband. It means that their desire will be to dominate their husband. Their desire will be to bully their husband. And we're seeing women in the workforce, white women with college degrees named Karen doing this. They're trying to browbeat everyone else and dominate the workforce with grievance culture. 